Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm very excited to welcome Jules Galloway back to the podcast by popular demand. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Thank you for having me back on the show. Oh, it's so good to see you. That last podcast we did together all about gut health and early sobriety was just an absolute banger. Just everyone got a lot out of that. Oh, my God. I had so much feedback even at my end, like people reaching out. It was really cool, actually. That's so good. That's what we want. Yes. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. So the reason I got you on today, Jules, I wanted to talk a bit about sleep and alcohol and early days of sobriety. I noticed I've got every time I've got a new challenge group starting, there's always about five or six people within that group that just struggle to get to sleep. And some people sleep like babies. They just sleep so well. They're like, I feel amazing. And my heart bleeds for the, the poor buggers that are like, I just, I'm not sleeping. This is so shit. I thought I meant to feel good. What's going on? So you can shed some light here. I always say to people, just the basics, take some magnesium, maybe some melatonin, good sleep hygiene at the start, but I'm no expert on this stuff. That's for sure. So can you tell me a bit about alcohol and sleep, what it actually does to your sleep when you are drinking heavily? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's several things that it's doing. That's one of the problems is there's no one right solution that works for all people because there might be several different reasons why this is happening. And I mean, like alcohol messes with your blood glucose, for example. So for some people, that might mean that they have a blood glucose spike or a blood glucose drop. And if their blood sugar is all messed up, then that might stop them from sleeping. Alcohol depletes your water-soluble nutrients. So some of those water-soluble nutrients are like really, really essential for helping us get to sleep. Things like magnesium, like that's the first one that comes to mind. And like even B vitamins, like B6 is needed for like deep sleep and quality dreams and all of that. And that's one of the things that gets depleted when you drink a lot as well. And then you've got poor old liver. So the Chinese medicine clock will tell you that 3 a.m. is liver o'clock. And so that's 4 a.m. for those of you who are in daylight savings right now. Any time around then, if you're waking up and having trouble getting back to sleep, even a naturopath who's not really Chinese medicine trained at all will start looking at the liver and whether we need to support it there as well. Wow, um, wow. That makes sense too when people wake up around that time when they're hungover mm. and they're having a yep. bit of a wig out. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Alcohol raises histamine as well. So histamine will also cause insomnia and a lot of my high histamine clients have trouble getting to sleep. So like poor sleep onset or sleep latency, they, they call it in, in technical terms. Alcohol can raise cortisol. So cortisol loves to spike at about 9 p.m. at night. So that's when you get that second wind and you go from nodding off on the couch to going, I'm going to watch four more Netflix episodes of my favourite show. And so, so cortisol, the stress hormone, spikes at 9 o'clock at night. Why? Why so? Is What's the go with that? Is there an evolutionary thing or...? There'll be some sort of circadian rhythm when we were living in caves that served a purpose kind of thing. It might be simply just to get us off our butts to get us to bed as well. But I do, I, I can't remember it right now, but I do know there are like logical sort of reasons for why we've evolved to have that little spike. So yeah, if you're a person who's already high cortisol and then it spikes even more at nine o'clock at night, well, then of course you're going to go from feeling tired to feeling wired. And then sleep is the last thing on your mind. And if you practice all your good sleep hygiene stuff and you turn your screens off and you go to bed, you'll probably be lying in bed with just like ruminating thoughts going round and round and round, what, what I like to call monkey mind, which I kind of learned from studying Buddhism. So I like there's so many reasons and that's just like the tip of the iceberg like alcohol messes with your GABA levels and your and your GABA receptors as well. Can you explain GABA to the people listening? So GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. We make it in the gut but not everyone makes it in the gut, especially if your gut is a little bit dysfunctional. And if you're wondering about that, like go back to our earlier podcast chat, which is exactly what we talked about because alcohol does mess with your gut function and bacteria levels. So anyway, in a, in a perfect world, if your gut is really healthy, it will make GABA, which is this inhibitory neurotransmitter. And by inhibitory, what it's doing is it's actually having like a calming effect on the signaling in the brain. So if you've got low GABA, 
quite often your brain's firing faster, like your thoughts are faster and everything feels like it's a bit more stimulated up there, whereas GABA comes in and just calms everything down. So it's got that beautiful inhibitory, like calming, relaxing effect. And so GABA, when you've got good levels of GABA, it's actually going to help to do things like reduce anxiety and that overthinking and that like overstimulation of the brain. So interestingly, alcohol actually stimulates GABA receptors. So if you're the sort of person who used to use alcohol or still does use alcohol to calm down and relax, then potentially it could be a bit of a GABA issue. So GABA stimulates these GABA receptors and at first you feel really relaxed and chilled and happy. It might even help you get to sleep. Like how many people have used alcohol to wind down to get to sleep? Heaps, uh, heaps, heaps in my yeah. challenges. They're like, oh, I yeah. used it to go to sleep. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, but keep going. Over a longer period of time, your GABA receptors wise up to this and they start to evolve themselves, and you have this reduction in GABA receptors. Why would they reduce? Because they're being slammed with alcohol. So they go, oh, this is a lot, so we'll just, like, close down some of the little doorways. Aha, so they're going, yeah, there's so much raining down on us right now, we've got to cover up a little bit because we're drowning in this shit. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. Like, if it's raining outside, you shut the window so it doesn't come inside, right? So. Uh-huh. So you've got this reduction in GABA receptors, which means now you need more alcohol to hit the mark. Meanwhile, your poor old actual endogenous GABA, like the stuff that you're making yourself, isn't getting through, right? Because the receptors are busy dealing with this alcohol. So now you've got more anxiety, you've got more of this excitatory activity in the brain. And it becomes like this loop where you feel like you need the alcohol to get to sleep or to at least relax enough to wind down to get to sleep. There are so many things going on at that sort of biochemical level as well that we're only just becoming aware of in like the last decade or so that are like really nerdy and fascinating that oh, you I love can like it. deep dive into. It's so amazing. It's also similar to dopamine, is it not? By, by my level of understanding is that the alcohol sort of dumps dopamine in the system and the dopamine receptors eventually kind of get overloaded. Is that right? And then they stop taking up so much dopamine. So we need more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing happens with a lot of addictive drugs as well. Like this is something that the body does when it gets overloaded. And so I remember when I worked in drug and alcohol rehab back in the day when I was like a fresh-faced little green junior naturopath like 17 years ago, I actually worked at this really full-on drug and alcohol place. And people who would be coming off like really hard drugs like heroin, but then they'd go and find themselves a new addiction to feed those receptors that were crying out. So they'd go, right, I'm just going to eat like a whole block of chocolate every day or something like that to fill that gap. And your receptors are crying out for GABA and you're feeding them alcohol. Like that's a bit of a bomb waiting to go off really. How would we identify that the body is crying out for GABA? Look, 
I think it's always crying out for GABA if we're stressed and we need to calm mm-hmm. down. But basically, you're probably going to feel edgy and inflamed. And like so things like, we, we call it in naturopathy and functional medicine, we usually call it like neuroinflammation. And it's, you've got this like excitatory kind of activity in the brain. So like lots of thoughts, lots of anxiety, lots of jumping to worst case scenarios, lots of playing out things in your head feeling that frazzled and edgy and like unable to relax and calm down and chill and that wind down kind of process just seems to be unavailable to you so it doesn't mean you should just all rush out and buy GABA and just I was gonna say I'm down there (laughs) but there are some people that take it and it's not a good fit for them as well so it is one of those things that's better done under the care of a practitioner although like there are online places you can go and buy it and I can't stop you all from doing it but just be aware that it's not necessarily like the one answer for everyone but it's definitely like a tool that I pop in in my shed for like all of my anxious inflamed those real sort of excitatory kind of picture clients and of course anyone who has had problems with addiction. Wow is there a specific test like can you blood test for GABA levels? Look there is there is a neurotransmitter test that you can do I've literally never done it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I test clients for neurotransmitter levels I don't at this point in time and like if someone can give me some information on this like please like reach out because I'd love to learn more but I don't know if the test that you can do in Australia is terribly accurate Mm -hmm. yeah there are like neurotransmitter metabolite tests as well so it's not checking the level of the neurotransmitters in the brain but it's checking like what you're actually metabolizing so it's kind of checking how much you're breaking down which gives you an indication of what's going on in the brain but again I know some of these tests are like hundreds of dollars and honestly if someone comes to me and they're not sleeping and they've got gut problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'll often be like, look, if we've got $300, $400 to spend, you could do a neurotransmitter test or we could do a gut bacterial microbiome test. Like I know where I'm going to advise for them to invest their money because like I said. You're going to go gut health, aren't you? Yeah, because where did I say GABA was made? It's made in the gut. So Mm. like. Don't check the levels, like check the gut. When people come to me as well, because I do see a lot of complex cases Mm -hmm. and that's my own fault because I actually like put it out on social media. I was like, yeah, I love complex cases. And then like they all came. what was I thinking I do like a challenge so I do I love I love that detective kind of aspect of the job and because I see a lot of complex cases they'll often come to me when they're quite sick they're quite like chronically ill I might be sitting in front of someone and they've got like a tick-borne illness or mold illness or like serious gut issues or autoimmune issues etc and so sometimes those people have spent a lot of money already on various practitioners and testing before they even got to me and then I'm sitting here going right what's the best use of your finances now rather than just ask you to spend thousands of dollars on testing so it can get so expensive it is yeah Yeah, it's crazy a good gut microbiome test is like between four and five hundred dollars 
Mm, so worth it. Actually, I see a functional medicine doctor here. I'm just thinking, maybe I'll just get that done. It's interesting, though, how the gut plays such a huge role. Even uh, one of my daughters, grumpy, you know, teenager, normal stuff, but tired and all the, and we'd been seeing a normal doctor. She had low iron for quite a lot, like long time. And they're just talking, just, she's just giving her iron supplements all the time and even thought about putting her on the pill and all this stuff. I was just like, no way. Yeah. Anyway, I took her to my functional medicine doctor, which I should have done in the first place. And they did all, all the tests that they do. And she has parasites. Yeah. And the parasites were, yeah. Yeah. And they were causing most likely the mood. She was low in zinc. Remember yeah. you talked about zinc on that yeah. podcast? We did. Yeah. So they've upped the zinc and sorted out the parasites and the iron's back to, to normal levels again. So, yeah. And amazing. the mood's probably improving as well. Sometimes. <laughs> still a teenager though <laughs> uh, well I must ask them if they've got something for that a herb for that uh, yeah, that's or wait till she turns 25 and you <laughs> yeah, that's right that's awesome Jules so okay if you went out and got some GABA supplements mm-hmm. how will you know if they're not a right fit well it'll either do nothing or you will experience like an exacerbation of symptoms. So you might become more anxious or more restless. It only happens very occasionally. And we don't know. I've had a conversation with some people online because I'm I'm in a like a practitioner group for ADHD practitioners as well because I see a lot of ADHDers. And we were talking about GABA supplementation and a couple of people chimed in saying, yeah, they've seen a couple of people in clinic where it seemed to have the opposite effect that it was meant to have. And I've seen one, as you could imagine, like I see a lot of people in practice. So to have only had like one person who had a quite a fairly hefty exacerbation of symptoms. It's not common, but it can happen. But yeah, it's more likely that it just won't do anything. When a supplement doesn't do what you want it to do, It's like, first of all, have I given it an opportunity to do what it needs to do? Like, have I given this a good couple of weeks to kind of build up in my system? Well, some supplements you don't need a couple of weeks, but some supplements you do. So that's kind of not just GABO, I'm just talking in general. But then secondly, is it the right dose? And is it the right frequency of dose? So you're taking the right amount of milligrams per dose. And then how many times a day are you taking that? And again, like the amount that I prescribe might change from person to person as well. And the amounts that you buy in over-the-counter, well, they're not even over-the-counter, they're like online kind of provided supplements. They're often not the right dose either. Some of them are really strong. Some of them are not strong enough. So it's going to vary from person to person. I also use a lot of L-theanine with GABA in practice. Mm -hmm. So L-theanine is an amino acid. And that also stimulates GABA receptors. So I like to think of that it's opening the doorway for the GABA to come through and do its thing in the brain. So I will often give like four to one ratio of GABA to L-theanine. Like I'll often do like 400 milligrams of GABA, 100 milligrams of L-theanine. And I might give that to a person one, two or three times a day, depending on what they need it for. Like, are they anxious for the whole day or are they just needing it for sleep? And like that also takes a lot of unraveling because sometimes people don't even realize how anxious they are during the day until you ask them specific questions. Like, 
yes, I know you say you're not anxious, but are you grumpy? Are you moody? Like, do you have racing thoughts? Da, da, da. It's like, well, actually they are also symptoms of anxiety. So why don't we look at working with this throughout the whole day rather than just trying to like smash you full of sleep supplements in the evening when sometimes that can be pushing shit uphill for people if their poor nervous system's being assaulted like all day long. There's so many things to consider when it comes to dosage and when it comes to getting the right supplements and the right balance. Like, And the amounts that I said that I use, like they might work for some people but not for others. So don't mm-hmm. just rush out and do exactly what I said because if you came to see me in clinic, it wouldn't be that way at all. Like you might not leave with exactly the same amount as the next person. There's definitely a lot to consider. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these sorts of supplements are fairly safe to try for most people. And unless you're on a bunch of medication, if you're on medications, you should always get someone to check the drug herb interactions or the drug supplement interactions for you to make sure. And an example of this, and this is just one example, like GABA can help to lower blood pressure. But if you were a high blood pressure person and you were already on blood pressure medication and then you give the GABA on top of that, they might end up having like a hypotensive episode, for example, where mm. their blood pressure drops too low. So mm. there are like definitely anything I ever say on this podcast, I would always say if you're on any medication, you need to check drug mm. interactions mm. before you kick off. Yeah, that's great advice too. Awesome. But I'm sure everyone's going to go out and buy some Gabba now. And... Right. Like, don't. Go and see a naturopath first. And if you don't even have to see like someone like me, right, I'm the one you come and see when you've got like chronic shit going on that no one else can figure out. People will come and see me when they've been to a couple of other naturopaths and I just sit down and like put detective hat on. That's what I like doing. Or if you've got ADHD or something like that going on, you can also, right, walk into a good health food shop that has a naturopath there and one where they have prescription only supplements behind the counter or out the back and often those people will give you 10 to 15 minutes of their time for free and they can check the drug herb interactions on their computer there on their system for you and there's health food shops and then there's health food shops but if you find one where they actually staff it with naturopaths pay them properly and then give them the tools and by tools I mean like practitioner only products you can get started there and it's it's super like price happy so you and honestly I know that sometimes in health food shops you might come across sort of new graduates who aren't as experienced but you know what I always say like those people learned it last week so they actually sometimes have more current knowledge in their brain than someone who's been doing it for 10 years because they learned it last week. They're like still bright eyed and, and like super keen, like they haven't been jaded yet. Right? So <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. like, they're the ones turning up to the seminars. They're the ones turning up to the webinars. They're the ones who are like super keen to get ahead in the industry and like learn things and learn all the cutting edge stuff because they're not set in their ways yet. So don't think that just dropping in on an inexperienced naturopath at a health food shop is a step down. It might actually be what you need. Absolutely. I so agree. There was one, uh, he doesn't work there anymore, James at Ocean Shores, chemist here. He was brilliant. And I'd go and see him about everything. I, it's so, and I could go on and on, but I won't. But yeah, he was awesome. And I'd get to see him for free and he'd make me up these amazing tonics and he was yeah. awesome. 
and he was very good very very good that's yeah that's great advice Jules that's amazing so yeah it's ask at your local pharmacy or health food shop if there's naturopath there and maybe that's a good start to get going amazing all right so if you're struggling with sleep it's worth looking at the GABA and the theanine what else definitely look at supporting the liver if you're a 3 a.m wake up person so with the liver there's three phases of detoxification that you need to be aware of so when you're detoxifying anything right alcohol drugs or otherwise like even hormones right even natural things it has to go through phase one phase two and then phase three detox so in order to sort out your detoxification issue we actually work backwards and we sort out phase three first then we move on to sorting out phase two for you then up to phase one phase three detox is the gut it's not even the liver it's the gut it's like where you're releasing the toxins out right literally they're going out so if you're constipated or if your gut's not right or if you've got a leaky gut that's likely to reabsorb things, that's where you start with detoxification. You don't even get started on the liver properly yet until you sort out the gut. So we need to like unconstipate you, right? We need to make sure that you don't have leaky gut going on. And like FYI, if you've been drinking alcohol for a long time, you do probably have a little bit of leaky gut or what we now usually call like increased intestinal permeability. But it basically just means that the, the cells that line the gut are not as close together as they used to be. And so there's a bit of gut damage. And now there's things being let through into the bloodstream that shouldn't have been going through into the bloodstream. So if you've got leaky gut and you're trying to get rid of toxins, right, the liver packages them up nicely and then sends them through the colon. And then what can happen is those packages get opened in the colon and those toxins reabsorb back into the bloodstream and round and round it goes. So, yeah, I know. That's why the gut is like the most important thing ever, because it, it really is running the show in so many different departments in the body, right, in different systems. Once we've got the gut humming along nicely, we might have given you some glutamine to heal up the gut or we might have given you some like prebiotic fiber or gotten things moving and maybe taken a couple of things out of the diet that was inflaming the gut. Hello, gluten, we're looking at you. So then we move on to phase two detoxification and then we can look at using like herbs and supplements for that. And there's so many to choose from. And then the same with phase one, there's beautiful things that we use there. Often when someone has got sleep issues, I will throw some liver herbs into their sleep mix and it'll usually be like either St. Mary's thistle, which is also sometimes called psyllium or sometimes called milk thistle. They're all the same thing. They're just, I don't know why people like to give them different names all the time. So often I'll throw a bit of St. Mary's thistle into a mix or like another liver herb. Sometimes they use like schizandra or globe artichoke. There's so many nice ones to choose from. And then sometimes I might look at things like broccoli sprout powder or amino acids or like calcium deglucurates, another one that we'll often give to people when there's like liver issues, but also hormone issues going on because we haven't even like touched upon like do we even dare mention perimenopause and that's like another two hours of your life. Like you won't get back. I won't stop talking about what that does to sleep. And, And like if you've, if you're at that perimenopausal age, you've been drinking a fair bit of alcohol, 
then the system by which you're using to detoxify those excess hormones and get them out of the body is the same system that's trying to detoxify the alcohol. So what's going to take priority? The alcohol is going to take priority, which means you're going to end up with more of a hormone imbalance. And so if there's like, and perimenopause, by the way, kicks off in your mid to late 30s, like don't even think it's for women of, who are 50, right? It starts when your estrogen starts to go up in your mid to late 30s, anything over about 35, 36, and people start talking about estrogen excess and the symptoms of like too much estrogen and like that'll fuck with your sleep for sure. So then what happens if you're drinking on top of that, you're clogging up the plug hole in the system by which all of those excess hormones are trying to get out of the body. So if you're trying to detoxify your estrogen and your body is preferencing detoxifying alcohol, because if it doesn't, you like get poisoned and die, right? Then the estrogen has to take back seat. It's a priority system, right? It's triaging what it detoxifies. And then if you're drinking coffee during the day to help because you're not sleeping well. So what's the first thing you think about when you roll out of bed, like you're thinking about coffee and then you drink coffee during the day. And that also has to be detoxified through the liver and so now we've got this kind of cumulative effect going on are you going to make me stop drinking coffee mm, you don't have to stop drinking coffee <laughs> i'm only on two a day but they're, they're precious to me jules don't take that from me oh, I, oh believe me i know like my husband was a barista for 10 years like uh yeah i know i know i'm actually on the decaf right now and let me tell you mm. it's a sad state of affairs and this is not <laughs> know these people and this is not I don't get paid to say this but please if they want to send me some free coffee like I'll drop you my PO box but there's a company called Decaf Co that have Mm -hmm. saved my life so if anyone is out there and you do need to get off the caffeine because you know it's making you anxious and you know it's problematic for your sleep and you know it's like messing with your detox systems etc look up Decaf Co they roast their own coffee beans and when you open up their website it's like going to a reg it's like going to like seven seeds or one of those kind of like beautiful coffee websites like coffee places where they've got like 15 different types of beans that you can buy and you can buy them either ground or not ground you can buy them whole and you have them shipped to you and these guys like roast to order it's actually amazing and it tastes like normal coffee okay so it doesn't give you the buzz but it tastes like normal coffee because the worst thing about going from coffee to decaf apart from like the sad state of affairs and that it doesn't give you the buzz right is the taste. Most cafes and coffee shops do not treat their decaf beans with respect. They don't give that much of a shit about decaf drinkers because it's, you know, it's for pregnant women and like occasional anxious people who can't have caffeine, right? And so no one gives it the love that it actually needs except decaf co and if anyone from decaf co is listening like i'll give you my address where you can send me all the beans but honestly they saved me from crying salty tears into a chai in the morning oh that's awesome i'm gonna check them out jules because i do do the decaf when we go to a cafe usually because i have two in the morning and then i can't do more than that so yes, yeah, so I'm going to check them out. Decaf Co. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Honestly, it yeah, it's it will save you from feeling depressed about not having caffeine. Amazing. So is <laughs> we digress. <laughs> we do, we do, but that's what we do, Jules. That's okay. So detoxing the liver, because I heard from someone once that's BS. That's not true. You can. 
where you can improve the detoxification pathways, right? Like, yes, the liver is detoxing every single day, whether you do anything about it or not, but you can absolutely improve the clearance that's happening. You can improve those phase one, phase two, phase three stages. You can absolutely modulate things. Like, I really don't buy into that at all. Like, yes, where I do call BS is where you go and buy your detox in a box for like $150 and it comes with all these pills and juices and supplements. And then after 10 days of doing that, you are like so cleansed and like you're like four kilos lighter and blah, blah, blah. And like your skin's going to improve. And like, oh my God, like this detox is just like so amazing. And then like influencers tell you to buy it, right? That's the BS in the industry that's actually being detrimental to the word detox and so naturopaths mm. have been detoxing people since the dawn of time and we didn't need all that bs stuff to be able to do it and mm. if you think you can just like drink some potion for 10 days and have some juice with it and that you're going to be like all fixed i'm sorry but you've been sold up a swanny so when you look at the word detox you kind of got to look at who's using that word and what are they selling? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how many followers on Instagram did they have? Yes. <laughs> and why are they selling it? Are they selling mm. it so that you fit into your wedding dress, you know, or are they or are they selling it so that you fit into your school formal dress or so that you become like bikini body ready for summer or that you get like clear skin in just 10 days? Or are they actually supporting you so that you can actually have healthy liver function and like healthy hormone balance and healthy sleep? And do you know what I mean? Like they're worlds apart. Unfortunately, one of them sells really, really well <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people are just looking for clear skin and to drop three or four kilos in a hurry. And that's great. Like I'm happy for them. If it, if it helps you to look good for your school formal, like who am I to say not do it? But there's so much more to detoxing than just those sorts of parameters that you can measure. Like a successful detox doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose X amount of weight. Mm. A successful detox means that you're going to have more energy, feel great, have good gut function, like all those beautiful things. And then hopefully like good sleep, right? How long does it take to restore your gut function? If you've been drinking and smashing the booze for a long time, how long does it take? I mean, is that, it's obviously different for everyone, but roughly, what are we looking at here? Piece of string. Um, You know what? When people ask me how long anything's going to take, I revert back to the old, and this is like such a, it's a bog standard reply, but I'll often say it's one month of treatment for every year that you've been sick. And that's something that I was taught 20 years ago. Right. And it's probably not terribly accurate, but it's, it's kind of a way of saying to a person, how long has your body been going through this for? And don't Mm. expect amazing results overnight. And when I say how many years have you been sick, you could also use that same way of looking at things, but then ask the question, how many years have you been drinking heavily? Mm-hmm. and there's your expectation set right there if you've been drinking heavily for five years 10 years that's five months 10 months it's just a way of saying don't expect miracles overnight just because you've stopped drinking now doesn't mean that your life is instantly going to get better and like you were saying before sometimes people stop drinking and they feel worse for a bit like their mm. sleep gets worse or their anxiety gets worse and they're like 
well, this is a ripoff because I was expecting to be like glowing and jumping out of my skin and feeling happy and not mm. depressed. And it's like, oh, now the real work starts. So it's really, really hard to manage people's expectations until you know them well and you know their history well because you don't know what the mm. exact state of that gut is yeah. or what the exact state of that liver is or what the exact state of their hormones are doing or their or their stress hormones or their anxiety levels and their neurotransmitter levels, et cetera. But what I will say, when people get a bit downcast, when you go, oh, you know, one month of treatment for every year, you also say, but it's not going to take that long to see results. Mm. You ask me how long until you're feeling better, better, right? You're going to see results along the way. And if you don't see results along the way, we need to sit up and work out what we've missed or change something because you should see like this trajectory where you start to feel better and some things happen. Like the people who say to you, I've quit alcohol and now I'm not sleeping, you can say yes, but do you at least have more energy during the day or do you have more clarity when you're in meetings at work or do you actually feel less out of breath when you exercise or do you have slightly less anxiety or depression or are your moods less cranky or are your hormones like are your periods like not as painful as they used to be and 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 like all those little things like maybe they've lost five kilos because they've stopped drinking mm -hmm. and their blood glucose levels are starting to normalize mm -hmm. and so rather than being on the threshold of developing diabetes they might be pulling back into having normal blood sugar. And so these are the things that we need to pay attention to. And these are the wins that we need to record along the way because they're the little bits of dopamine that you're going to score to keep you going to get to that end goal, which is like feeling really well, which doesn't happen for a little bit longer. Yeah, it takes a while. Absolutely. The other thing I'd say, Jules, too, if people are experiencing some negative feelings, or feelings in the body, or they're not sleeping, I always just think, well, good, there's a good diagnostic that there's something that needs addressing. So, yeah. and look, I would say to people that have been drinking for a long time, get your, go get your gut health checked out, go see a really good naturopath like yourself, Jules, or a naturopath, functional yeah. medicine doctor, not yeah. just average Joe down at your bulk billing, no offense to any of those GPs, a more holistic approach where they're sort of looking at everything. Like when I go see Marcus Hewitson down here at Ocean Shores, yeah. functional medicine is brilliant. Yeah, I'm with him for an hour minimum, like whether it is there, you know, it costs a lot, but I'd rather pay the money and be so thorough. And that guy is phenomenal. He just everything, yeah. just everything. Mm -hmm. What was step one? Because we had the gut and then step two was the herbs and supplements. What was one? Phase one and two are the liver and phase one and two, we do a lot of herbs and supplements. Honestly, at that point when we're starting to do liver, there will be often a few little tweaks to the diet that we might do to help things to move along a little bit faster and take the load off the poor old liver. Like I don't take everyone off coffee, but sometimes taking people off coffee might be helpful or mm -hmm. taking them off sugar or taking them off gluten or dairy or the thing, basically the things that are going to either inflame them or cause the liver to have to do more work. And so the old mm -hmm. liver detox diet, like I don't hand them out willy nilly. I'm usually a bit more gentle with people than that. But if there's something that I think they're, they're not tolerating well or that's causing inflammation, then that has to go. Or even at least dialing some of it back, like going from four coffees a day down to one or two is a massive win for some people. So, you know, you've got to meet people where they're at as well and go, right, 
okay, what's our goal for the next month is just to get that coffee slashed in half. So you're only having it in the morning and you're not having any after like 1 p.m. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that all of us naturopaths are really hard line and that we're going to put you on some awful diet that you can't stick to. And most of us are happy to meet you where you are. Mm. And the other thing that we'll often do during these early stages as well is support people with like a beautiful herbal sleep mix, which mm. we haven't talked about, but I, I almost didn't talk about it because it's almost Captain Obvious, but then like, is it? <laughs> so it, it's obvious to me because it's like something I would do with most people. It's like, okay, well, while we're getting all these other ducks in a row, like, of course, I'm going to give you some herbs for sleep, whether it's like in tablet form, because there's some beautiful ready-made formulas out there that I look to that are like, there's some great practitioner only ones. There's also some decent over-the-counter ones these days. Do you mind um, mentioning? I don't think I can mention brands, but usually I'm leaning towards things that have got like passion flower, Zizifus, California poppy, magnolia, maybe even a little bit of valerian. Valerian will hype up one in maybe 10 people, one in 20 people. So wow. again, like it might, it can sometimes have that paradoxical effect where it will make you more amped, not less. And it can so, smell like your husband's feet. Yeah, right. You open that bottle, you can smell the valerian two towns over, right? So, but it is, it's for some people though, it's super effective. And interestingly, it works on GABA receptors. Oh, hello. Like herbs can do what supplements can do as well. And that's the thing. Like a hundred years ago, we didn't have GABA and L theanine supplements because we only make them in laboratories now, but we we did have valerian, we did have passion flower, we did have California poppy. What I would say is that there is a really effective herb for sleep called Carva, but you mm. need to be super careful with it. And I know it is available over the counter as well. So I wanted to mention it because a lot of the time, if you don't, and I wouldn't blame you for not disclosing your whole life story to a person in a health food shop, but if you go into a health food shop, don't tell them about your history with alcohol and you just say, I'm struggling to get to sleep and I've got these racing thoughts. They might give you carver. And look, carver is amazing and effective, but sometimes it can spike liver enzymes in blood. In other words, it's a lot for the liver to deal with. And so it's not common, common, but there are cases where like ongoing and heavy use of carva has resulted in liver issues. Wow. So, uh -huh. Yeah. And like you have to have a lot of it. But if someone has come to me with a history of kind of abusing their liver a little bit and no judgment, like, <laughs> it, but like at the end of the day, that poor liver is kind of sitting there whimpering going, oh, someone please like think of me. And so if we then see on some blood tests that there have been raised liver in enzymes in the recent history, then I will usually avoid carver and go towards some of these other herbs instead, just as a bit of a safeguard, because like there's other herbs that do just as good a job that we can use that don't have that same kind of problem. Mm -hmm. What about teas, Jules, with like herbal mixes in the teas? Yeah, look, there are a lot of people out there that love like a sleepy time tea blend and there's so many beautiful ones. You've got like chamomile and passion flower and like lemon balm and all of those beautiful ones. The only problem I bloody have with it is like you're getting out of bed to pee at three in the morning if you drink like one or two cups of tea before bed. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's because I'm getting old or something because, you know, <laughs> apparently I'm middle-aged. Not in, not in my head I don't feel middle-aged, but apparently from the neck down I'm middle-aged, right? Uh, yeah, 
Yes. And like I'm at that age where my he'll kill me for saying this. He'll, it's all right. He won't listen to this. But my husband's getting out of bed at like three or four in the morning every single night to pee, right? And mm-hmm. I give him shit that it's his prostate, but it's not. It's just what he does. This is like what dudes do, I think. Mm-hmm. So if you're that sort of person, having two cups of strong herbal tea before you go to bed it's not going to be the way to go, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you're okay with, if you if you can hold it, you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night to go pee, like, please have as much herbal tea as you want. You have my blessing. <laughs> awesome. That's so great. All um, the people listening under 40, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm up like three times the night. I'm shocking. So do you want to add herbal tea to that mix? Yeah, I do drink a lot of herbal tea at night time before bed too, but I love it. And my best friend owns a tea shop, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. hard not to. Hard not to. That's right. Someone asked me the other day, they said that when they were drinking heavily or after a binge, they would have an AGV and after grog bog. Oh, yes. Yeah. And now I've that they've. That time for a while. Love that. Yeah. I know that's, I was like, AGV. Oh, that's right. Oh, sour. <laughs> <laughs> sour they were. Ooh. Anyway, now they've cut back on their booze and they're really backed up and they're like, I've missed my AGV. Yeah. Talk to that. Unfortunately, your AGV was just bacterial overgrowth being fed and inflammation and, you know what I mean, like that wasn't a real poo. Sorry, but it wasn't real, right? It was the product of what you did the night before, just trying to leave your body and that's not necessarily a healthy colonic function, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're starting from scratch. It's a bit like people who can't shit without coffee. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Because I've been Mate. doing it today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, if you can't shit without coffee, then the coffee poo isn't really a real poo. And I bet you it's not terribly well formed for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And AGBs from memory, right? They were not terribly well-formed for me, and I'm pretty sure they're not in general terribly well-formed. So all it is is a bit of a clear-out. So that's not, uh, okay, I know that we need to get you pooping, but that's not what we need to do to make it happen. But if you've gone from that to constipated now that you're not having alcohol at all, then what you've actually got is a person who was constipated all along, who was getting a laxative effect from these things and it's the same when you take the coffee away from people and they can't poo it's like well what you've actually got is a person who is constipated all along who is using the coffee as a laxative and that's not going to give you a healthy gut so now we have to work out why you're constipated in the first place right so have you got like bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine or the large intestine that actually produce methane that slow the gut motility down like that's really common is it a lack of fiber that's really common is a lack of water that's really common like a lot of people when they're a bit dehydrated they can't poop and for other people it could be other underlying issues as well like if you've got low serotonin Sometimes you don't poop because serotonin helps with motility, right? Little known fact. So, yeah, sometimes we give people herbs and supplements that boost serotonin and they poop. And I've also heard that happening when people go on SSRI antidepressants. So there's something there. Is it because you're stressed and that poor old gut is just like really bound up from stress? 
Mm. Is it that you've got low hydrochloric acid in the stomach? So often I will say to people, how do you feel after a heavy meal? Like, how do you feel if you were to eat like a big steak or like a massive meal? And they'd be like, oh, no, I only eat small meals and I only eat like vegetarian or like chicken and fish because anything heavier than that and I don't cope. And I'm like, well, you've probably got low hydrochloric acid. If you've got low HCL, that's actually going to, from the top down, affect your bowels because it's not breaking the food down very well. And if it's not breaking the food down very well, it doesn't travel through the colon at the same rate in the same way. And then you're not pooping properly. So there's so many reasons that people can be constipated and liver. So the liver is making the bile and the bile is the thing that, sorry to everyone who's eating during this podcast, <laughs> the bile is the thing that gives the poo that's lovely colour, like the yellows and the browns, right? That's mm. bile. And so you need bile to break down fat in food. But everyone thinks that bile is made in the gallbladder, right? Usually we think back to year 10 anatomy and we kind of know from somewhere that the gallbladder holds bile, right? The gallbladder doesn't make the bile, the liver makes the bile, and then it stores it in the gallbladder, like just putting it in a little handbag for when you need it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so much going on, like when someone's constipated, but honestly, when it's someone who has been drinking a fair bit for a long period of time, I will be looking at stress. I will be looking at gut and in particular bacterial overgrowth and I'll be looking at liver and that's mm. how we get the pooping. But yeah, like honestly, basics, are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting enough water? Like do them first mm -hmm. and then report back. That's really, really interesting. I'm sure this, that person will be very relieved, pardon the pun, to, <laughs> to hear that. Uh, that's incredible. And also I know just from a perimenopausal view as well that I know that I had this really high level of estrogen which was playing out in mental like depression mm -hmm. and my doctor sort of saw that and it, the, one of the first questions said how much are you pooping I'm like hardly at all like every three days every four days and he said yeah estrogen is released through the bowels Phase and if you're not pooping detox. yeah yeah and I was yeah. like wow and so the first thing he did to get me feeling better was broccoli extract but also getting the bowels moving properly. So Amazing. broccoli extract is phase two detoxification. Getting the bowels moving is phase three detoxification. Mm -hmm. you know, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. And if you ever want to go down the rabbit hole of estrogen, uh, dear listeners, go and hunt down someone called Dr. Carrie Jones, C-A-R-R-I-E Jones. And she is like the person for estrogen excess and she explains it really, really well. She's an incredible speaker and she talks about the different phases of detoxification in a way that you'll really easily pick up because I found it super easy to understand. She'll be like, phase one breaks down the toxins, but phase two wraps it up in a package and then ties the bow on top and then you send it down the colon and then when it's going down through the colon, if it comes across this like bacterial overgrowth issue that actually rips the bow off the off the package and spills the contents of the of the package into the colon and then you reabsorb it and so she talks about it in like a way that you actually really understand understand it right i've just started following her on instagram right now because of that yep. that's great but one thing marcus said to me was really fascinating he said so many women in the mid 40s end up on antidepressants but often it's an estrogen overload and or also progesterone. Or progesterone. Yeah, low progesterone yeah. which is what i had yeah. and 
he was like, you don't need that. What you need is this. And so it was really fascinating. And I was better, like, honestly, I felt so much better within a few weeks. I started an improvement, like a huge improvement. And then, you know, I was off and flying yeah. within a couple of months. It was really incredible and a real eye opener. Yeah. yeah. And look, and obviously if you're drinking on top of that, it's going to exacerbate that even more so. Do you know what? Like I've got a couple of really close friends who are, one is a naturopath and one's a nutritionist. And I've had both of them on my podcast. Like my community isn't zero alcohol, like some of them are, but a lot of them are not. So I asked the question on my podcast is ages ago. I was like, okay, how much alcohol is a safe amount for someone to have when they're experiencing perimenopausal difficulties? And both of them came back with zero. And I was like, oh, shit. Like I was hoping they'd say, oh, you can have one glass of wine three nights a week or switch from wine to vodka or gin and you can have some of that instead. It's not as hard on the digestive system. Both of them just went flat zero. Zero. You Mm. bunch of killjoys. But they live and breathe perimenopause. Like they eat perimenopause for breakfast. It's all of these two practitioners do is female hormones and they both work a lot with women over sort of 40 and I was like, oh, well, there you go. Like they've researched it inside out and they're saying zero. Zero, yeah. And that recent Huberman episode was, well, not recent now, it was a couple of years maybe now, but where he talks about that, the neuroscientist, and he did the studies and it turned out, yeah, that. and he's a, a moderate drinker. And he was also disappointed with all the studies that they did that it was zero. Oh. What yeah, is this... it, the third stage? Is it the third stage of grief with bargaining? <laughs> I've been there. I was there with the booze. Absolutely. This is awesome, Jules. I could talk to you for like forever, but unfortunately I know you're a very busy lady. Very important. Very busy. Very expensive. (laughs) Not important. Just busy. Not even as expensive anymore. I've been doing a lot of self-care lately, so I'm not even as busy. I'm proud to say, but that's only been the last month. So yeah, yeah, good. Trying to practice what I preach at the moment, especially heading into Christmas and all of that. Absolutely. Practitioner heal, heal thyself. Yes. But yeah, if you do want to reach out, reach out. If you have a complex case and you want me, that's great. If you want a recommendation to another practitioner, like I have an amazing network of colleagues and friends as well and can find someone for you who's a good fit, whether you want to see them in person or via Zoom. I mentor junior naturopaths who sometimes don't cost as much as some of us. So there's a practitioner out there for everyone. I really do believe that. And so if you if you need help, like I'm pretty approachable. Just reach I out. love that. I love that about you, Jules. And I love that you share the love too. I think it's really fantastic. It's a great way to be. The only way. Yeah. Okay. This is amazing. Thank you so much. I also just wanted to flag your podcast. So you've got a new podcast out as well. Yeah. Look, I I used to have a podcast called Straight Talking Natural Health, but that just fell by the wayside a little bit. One day I might. I know. I've just had so much on in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and maybe I might give it a bit of a revival next year. You never know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a lot of speaking gigs and so that kind of took all the energy Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. But I do have a podcast that I do with my beautiful husband, James, and Mm -hmm. it's called LD ADHD. And the LD stands for late diagnosis because both of us were actually diagnosed as ADHDs at ages 46 and 50 and wanted to create a podcast that was for 
people like us who were finding out later in life and who were going through all the emotions and all the feels and all, all of that process. And so it's not necessarily about what to eat and what supplements to take because that's just me and my thing. And I, like very occasionally we'll talk about that. But most of the time it's more about sharing stories, interviewing other late diagnosed ADHDs and just talking about like the process of being diagnosed and what it felt like and, and the different types of ways that ADHD can show up in mm. people our age. So, yeah, it's a bit of a passion project, a bit of a love thing, but we really enjoy it. And he is piss funny. It's awesome. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Awesome. So LD ADHD, that's awesome. Fantastic, Jules. I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes, so I'll do my best. And if not, if I haven't covered also, and as you said, like you're available for people to reach out and yeah. either get a consult with or you'll find them someone that's suitable. You Amazing. Can find me at julesgalloway.com. Do you do Zoom sessions? Yeah, that's all I do now. I don't oh, see great. in person, even if the one time I, I had someone recently and she was like literally like three streets over. And when we found out we were laughing because she booked online and didn't even realize where I was. But um, oh, yeah, like I, I only see people via Zoom now. But yeah, you can also find me on Facebook at Insta at Jules Galloway Health and just like reach out if you need anything. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you, Jules. You're a bloody ripper. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Thank you, mate. And I'll I definitely want to get you back on to talk about ADHD. If yes. you can squeeze us in sometime, that'd be amazing. Special interest. Bring it on. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Jules. Thank See you. ya. Bye.